Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. everybody. I'm going to start us off with a face palm and that is to salami and its smell. (laughs) I brought some snacks in our car yesterday and with my kids school and pickup and sports it was like a lot of things in the car and then this was the day before yesterday. And then I got in the car yesterday and I was like, woof, it, something's in here. What is that smell? Discovered a slightly open package of salami and it was disgusting. It smelled so bad. And it's kind of sad because I love salami. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that doesn't sound like it would smell good. I don't know if I can like completely picture the smell but i can imagine and i'm sure it wasn't good you shouldn't it will ruin salami for you for a bit <laughs> oh yucky um okay well mine's also a face palm because so this is kind of hilarious so last week i had the pleasure to go on a hike with um just parker my brother which was fun Terilyn, you were out of town and obviously felicia you were you were back because parker was with me but it was fun because i rarely get time alone with just Parker. So it was really fun. We went for a hike. It was great. And, but it was fun. So we went up to this, so it's this hike. It's like a longer hike up above in Farmington where we both used to live growing up. And there's this part in the hike. We're going to a place called Hell's Hole. Anyway. So for those of you familiar, um, there's like a part where I've done the hike before. And obviously like anybody who's ever hiked in the mornings, if you're hiking on a trail and if you're the first person on the trail, you're going to hit a lot of spider webs, which I don't love. Spiders are not my thing, but like I've learned to get used to it. But there's a specific part on the hike that I always remember that like there are always spider webs and I feel like they're big spider webs. So we got to this certain part, it's like near the end. And as me and Parker were talking, I'm like, hey, <laughs> like picked up a big stick and I was like, I'm just going to walk through with this. And he was like making fun of me because it looked like I was like holding a wand, like holding it out as we went. Because I was, I like was holding it in front of my face and like using the stick to block anything. But here is the thing, you guys, it was crazy because, oh, it's like giving me the heaps just thinking about it right now. As I was, as I was walking and Parker's just talking behind me and walking. And I also, I actually was at the front. So I actually hit all the spider webs going up, which so clap for me, but then, which is funny because he's way taller. So he probably still got it on his face now that I think about it. So he probably still did get some, but I'm like walking. And as we're talking, all of a sudden I like hit something and it was where I was like walking fast enough that like I hit something and like heard like a zing, like it was like, like a, that kind of a noise. And I was like, like, I like kind of freaked out because I didn't know what it was. And I could like feel it like as I was passing. So I like hurry and like ducked out and I had my wand still. And Parker was like, oh, he was like, did you see that spider? And we look back and there is a huge spider that was like crawling across its 
little spider web all the way back to the tree, but it was like right next to where my head had been. And I think like with my stick, I had knocked it. So it like scuttled away, but it was freaky. Like I heard it moving away. It was so scary. And it, it way freaked me out. And after that, I was like, I got a bigger stick and I'm like, you were making fun of me for this stick, but like, this is a good idea. Anyway, but it was so funny. I kind of felt like one of those, um, you know, those people like burn sage to like get rid of bad uh, energy. Like that's how I felt with the stick. Cause I was like waving it around myself as I walked. Cause I was so paranoid and it was hilarious that Parker was with me because I mean, he makes fun of me all the time in a great way. And so it just added to the the fuel of it and he was <laughs> he was like had he got a stick too and he was like back back like trying to like get everything back. anyway it was hilarious and also fright like as I'm thinking about it it's like making me feel like creepy crawlies on me like it's kind oh. of spiders yeah. in anywhere in your head region no yeah, yeah. no that's freaky yeah, it was bad because, yeah, then at the top we did, you know, like we like sat there in silence for a little bit and I just couldn't stop. Like I would like look around and just make sure I was like, please just don't crawl up me. Like I don't want anything growing up, which I don't usually think that, but it just, ugh, ugh. yeah. I don't know why I've never thought of doing that before. <laughs> Waving a wand in front of myself. It's brilliant because, yeah, I don't, nobody likes being spiders don't bother me but i don't like being surprised by them on my skin yeah no yes i don't mind i don't mind if i see one i actually don't mind if i see one like on my shirt and my pants but like the idea that like it's up my sleeve and i don't know or it's like in my neck where i can't see oh i don't like any of that (laughs) (laughs) what it's like i do mind it anywhere on me no yeah no that's like hilarious that you would even say that like I'm okay with it on other parts of my body no way no I don't want it on any part ever I actually thought about you last night Keelan because I was putting my kids to bed and um all the like out of the corner of my eye I saw something coming down from the ceiling and it was just a spider lowering slowly onto Lenny's bed which <sighs> it's exactly what you're saying I saw it coming down I just killed it it wasn't scary but or like freaky but had he or me or I just had the thought of like imagine you're laying in your bed and it's in there and you don't know well, yeah. or you realize it's in there when you're in your bed I was like Ugh. <laughs> yeah, no it's the worst it's the worst that's scary too, because it's like, what if it had just gone a couple inches over and landed on your head? I mean, was very horrifying. Possibilities are endless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna switch mine over to a uh, spider related. I think you listeners are ready to know the level of weirdness that is me. So <laughs> we're gonna go. We're gonna dive into this for my high five. <laughs> so I have an affinity for bugs and. When I was a little girl, I like my first time I loved a spider was it lived in my windowsill for a long time. It was like a big fuzzy wolf spider and I loved it so much. And I talked to it and I like made arrangements with it to protect me from the other spiders. Like I loved the spider. Okay? It was a wolf spider? So, a wolf Aren't spider. They're my venomous? favorite. They're so cute though. Oh. They have like fuzziness and the way they move, they hunt instead of catching things in their webs. They're wonderful. They're my favorite. Oh. So there's two kinds of wolf spiders that I really love. 
that live around us. One of them, I think, looks like a chipmunk because that's kind of a stripe on it. The other one has, like, it's a lot more fuzzy. Anyway, so what I'm saying is I have an affinity for bugs. And I, like, literally my whole life still, like, I, like, talk to the spiders in my house and I identify them. I know a lot of them, but if I don't know, I identify them. If they're particularly toxic for humans, I... If they're really toxic, like Black Widow, I'll kill it. But if it's just like moderate, I'll take it outside. But for most of them, like a common house spider, wolf spiders, I like call into my house. And I talk to them and I'm like, hey, I'm letting you live. And I expect, not expect, like in return, I want you to fight off things like brown recluses and hobo spiders and Black Widows that could actually hurt us. Because those are their, just so you guys know, those bug, those spiders that I just mentioned, their biggest enemy is common house spiders. So, so just like I believe in positive flora and fauna on our bodies, probiotics, like I look at that with bugs. So this is my high five. So this is, <laughs> I'm at my house of like last week, somebody rings my doorbell and I have a no soliciting sign on my door, but I still am a sucker. And I just, it's so hard for me to answer and be like, Hey, no salespeople, you know? And, and again, like my, my brother's done sales before. Like, I just feel like I really think the salespeople are so brave and so like I'm just impressed that they're even doing it so this guy is standing on my front porch and he has I can see his little tag that he's a pesticide guy and I'm like hey first off how you doing so good to see you I can see you're a pesticide person the answer for me is no and you know he's doing the well your neighbors you know do it whatever and I'm like no no thanks he's like who do you use instead and I'm like I don't use anybody and then he was like, and it was funny because the high five is my daughter was standing by me. And what she said after was seriously such a high five for me. I'm like, um, nobody. I don't use anybody. He's like, are you like an organic person? And I'm like, I am. Yes. And he's like, well, we use like all, he like starts naming all the ingredients, why they're organic. And I was like, no, no, no. Um, let me clarify. I like the bugs. Like, I don't want to kill them in any way, whether it's organic or not organic. And he like looks at me and he's like. <laughs> okay <laughs> like you could just tell he was like i have never had a person like that's their answer for me like <laughs> walks away he's like okay okay and uh and my high five was as he was walking away like i was kind of like like laughing and he kind of like laughed and he's like okay bye-bye <laughs> and i turn around and savannah's like <laughs> what did she say she's like he should have seen that coming or something like that. Like, like, I don't even know. But I just love it. Like, to my kids, they're like, yeah, she's just weird. Like, I just, she's weird. I don't know. And I don't know. It felt good to be known by my children that they, like, know that that's just who I am. And we come inside and we're, like, laughing. My husband was there and they, like, you know, they're, like, I think Santa told them the story. And he's, like, yeah, I could have told them that as he was walking up the thing. Like, she is weird okay <laughs> like not killing any of the bugs anyway so that's my high five is that it's good to be known it's good to have your weirdness just known by your people and strangers who come to sell stuff to your house and now all of our listeners around the world you now have been let in to one of my i mean you already know i talked to trees <gasps> oh that reminds me of something else you know what we're gonna stop though we're gonna stop going on the weird train what i'm saying is it's good to be known like just let your weird flag fly right yeah. that's me i don't I have communication with bugs and honestly, this can sound weird, but sometimes I actually have really beautiful moments with bugs. Sometimes they like give me, this is making me sound, I know it. They give me messages. I'm going to stop. Okay. <laughs> Come on. I have messages for many bugs, not 
earwigs, ants. <laughs> not the pests, not the pest bugs as much, though they do feed my chickens, so I appreciate them. <laughs> yes. To be clear, yeah, some bugs do freak me out. I'm just saying there are some bugs like that do cool stuff. I don't know. They're just fascinating. Like bugs are just so interesting and they try so hard. They spend their short lives just working their butts off. Yeah, that's true. And, and I will say, I mean, of course, when I was a kid, I, I thought bugs were really cool. It has been fun having little boys because, and I'm sure little girls do it too. I just only have the boys, but like they do find so much enjoyment out of like catching bugs, looking at bugs, seeing them like so much enjoyment. I and mean, they could spend oodles of time doing that. And that is yeah. fun to like rekindle my enjoyment of like, they are, they're really cool. So Mm-hmm. there <laughs> I still don't really want them crawling on me or anything like that but um Darlene, I love you should put a sign out and like next to the no soliciting sign just that says like my pesticide is the pests so like, <laughs> mine are the bugs that's my pesticide so I don't need any more yes. I love it yeah. I love it okay well on to more um socially acceptable subjects that other people will really resonate more than me embracing bugs. Um, That is, we're going to talk about relationships with humans, which will be fabulous. We're specifically talking about the book Relationship Rx by Stan Tatkin. And, oh man, guys, we read a lot of relationship books, but this one is a really good one. Like I, I, I hate to rate it compared to the other ones, but I would put it in my top when you're talking about specifically romantic relationships um, it's one of my favorites. It's really practical. He says stuff in a way that you're like, yeah, you know, like for example, on the spectrum, I feel like when we talk about children, I've read books from, I think I've, I've all, I've told you guys this before, but the first two parenting books I ever read in my life years before I had children was happiest baby on the block. And then baby wise, which are like two entirely opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to caring for babies like Mm -hmm. and I remember when I read them both being like this is has to be truth and then I read the other one I was like whoa 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 Mm -hmm. this sounds like truth but it's also the it's the opposite like what is this so in romantic relationship and I'm gonna say romantic relationship because it could he really is I was gonna say it could be like the person you run your life with but really he's talking about romantic relationships like your primary intimate partner it's the same thing. There's like this kind of like spectrum of relationship stuff. One side of the spectrum is being, you are totally like just in charge of your own happiness, independent. Um, and then the other side is enmeshment where you're just like, so connect, like you are one together and you just make each other happy all the time. And, and it's, and I've been to couples therapy where we talk about the concept of it's not independent, sorry, it's interdependent, but you know, you, you, can take it kind of to one side where it's like, you know, I'm just going to make myself happy and you're just along for the ride. Right. And I like how Stan presents it in a really interesting way where he kind of honors that both not enmeshment particularly. I mean, I'm sure he would support the concept of interdependence, but that where you are, your coupleness helping make each other happy and yourselves happy. Like they're, they're both, that they're both important. And I really like how he kind of balances that. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, the main kind of foundational concept that was the most fascinating to me that we're going to kind of cover first before we branch off 
is attachment styles. So we talk a lot about attachment styles again with children, but I really like it because these are adult relationships, attachment styles. So uh, the common, like in culture, we use anxious and avoidant and secure attachment. That's what we name them. But he kind of adds a little C metaphor to it that helps you remember stuff. So I really like it. So I'm going to kind of go through both. I'm going to use both terms just so that those of you who are familiar with attachment styles kind of know what I'm talking about. But he refers to what I've read as secure attachment style as an anchor. So the three things are an anchor, a wave, and an island corresponding to secure, anxious, and avoidant. Those are like the the three kinds with the different names. So anchors are the securely attached people. And I really like it that none of us are all of like just one of these things all the time. We have a primary one and then we can vacillate between them depending on the stage of our life. And also fascinatingly, I find in my own life in the stage of your relationship, like where you are at or maybe the relationship that you're in. So securely attached people are called anchors or when you're functioning like that, he calls it secure functioning. These people are easygoing. They are the most unencumbered by fears of abandonment. So these people, oftentimes we are, we create these patterns as children. So the cool thing is you're not locked into this. Like if you're an anchor or you're a wave or you're an island, you're not stuck here. This isn't like a energy type where you're like, whoa, this is just who I am. This is a, you recognize you have patterns as a child that have made you like this and then you can change it, which is really cool. Uh, but these, these children, when they were children had mainly secure attachments. So parents who were there and met their needs mostly, right? (laughs) When they needed them. So they learned they could depend on somebody and that it was safe to depend on somebody else. Right. So they're not, they're not functioning so much out of fear, right? They can stay connected, but they also don't mind separation. So a securely attached person or an anchor can be together with the person and then by themselves. And they kind of flow in and out of those two states without too much uh, disruption to their nervous system. Right. So they're not like having lots of trouble if they're doing an activity and their person comes up to them and now they're with their person, they don't have like too much of a problem kind of adjusting into that shared space. The next one is either known as anxious attachment or waves. So I like the, I really love the word wave. The reason why I love his term so much is they really help you get a visual for what's happening. So waves as children who are still functioning as waves, they were given lots of love as babies. So they were still giving like, they had a caregiver who was very affectionate and loving, but maybe wasn't dependable or stable in their giving of love. So maybe they got a lot of love and attention, but then that parent was maybe emotionally unavailable sometimes or would freak out in anger. So the child learned that love feels good but you can't depend on it because when that parent pulls away and freaks out at you or is just gone all the time or whatever, that hurt feels like abandonment. So they learn to both crave connection and also fear that unreliable kind of wave that up and down. So, and it can also be um, when they had to be responsible for their parents' emotions. So it could be something like, they had a parent who was either really angry or really sad or whatever, and they felt like they had to take care of that parent. That also kind of creates that wave thing because you want the connection. But when a child is in charge of managing the emotion, it's not, it doesn't feel good, right? Because it is, it just like comes and goes because the parent is the immature one, right? 
So, so how that looks in adulthood is this kind of person, you feel that like, oh man, like they just pull you in. They really want that love and affection, but at the same time, they're scared of it. So then they might do things that kind of sabotage or they'll push away. So I love, I mean, the line is, uh, one of the lines that Stan uses is it's difficult for them because they, they fear deeply what they want most, which is an intimate relationship. So that's that paradox of this is the thing I want the most, this truly intimate relationship, but this is also the thing that I really am scared of because it might hurt, Mm. which is actually the love in general. But so that's a wave. So think, you know, this kind of, there's a lot of movement with a wave. There's this push and pull dynamic. Then the last one is avoidant attachment which is the term you see around a lot, but the, his metaphor is an island, which is such a good metaphor. Islands um, can, not always, so these are, these are uh, generalizations here, but can, islands can in childhood have just been not given much attention or love at all. So how that happened when they're really little, right? So and we're talking like three and under and then early childhood after that. Um, but an island has learned that when they ask their parent or care provider for love, they just don't get it, right? So that could be a really um, just distant, like an emotionally distant parents or anything like that. But the child learns, I just need to make, I just need to meet my own needs here. Like I, I can't depend on anybody else. It isn't like this come and go, like the wave. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So I'm just going to figure it out myself, you know? And what, how that looks though, is then in an adult relationship, they can easily shut down. So, um, waves like to be connected. So they have a hard time when their person leaves islands have, can sometimes have a hard time adjusting when a person comes into their personal time, right? So they're alone and then a person comes in and they have a hard time kind of adjusting to that. So how that looks is when their person comes to them with an emotional issue, islands, there's like a really strong like allergy here to that. So it's like a, I got to just withdraw here because I, this is a lot, you know what I mean? So to that person's partner, it can look like they don't care, but it's not that they don't care. They really do deeply care, but it's painful. So that kind of pain makes them oftentimes withdraw. So they have a tendency to withdraw. Islands do. And so that's kind of like a overview of the concepts of waves, islands, and then securely attached people. And knowing that again, we vacillate and sometimes we're functioning. Like if there's a wound, like I've definitely noticed if there's a wound, like it can push you into one or the other ones. Like So anyway, that's kind of the premise. And there's all sorts of really cool neuroscience that we won't get into today, but so cool neuroscience behind what makes us react to people in different ways and all the different hormones that are flooded in our bodies and stuff. But, oh, it's just so fascinating. And to me, once you know this, the reason why you might think, why are we labeling people? But it's like anything where when you understand, I mean, I can't tell, we kind of read it as a family. So like all of us read it, most of our husbands read it and our, I think our mom read it. So it's so fun to, as we talk to each other, there were so many times that somebody would be like, you know what? I can see that in myself. And it makes so much sense. Now I can see that I'm reacting like that. I realize how to ask for what I want in a more healthy way. You know what I mean? So I think these are really helpful to know about yourself and about your partner 
So that say, for example, if you are partnered up with an island, you're not going to just come at them like a hurricane, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to phrase things like, you know, this is, you can do it gently. You can ease into things. You can mm-hmm. validate how they're feeling about it. So they're able to stay with you in that conversation or whatever it is. Or if you're a wave, you can be like, I know this is my tendency to like, I'm coming in, but I have a fear of this hope because I'm scared. And just voicing that helps your partner be like, yeah, like I get, I get what you're coming at. You know what I mean? Instead of just being frustrated with you. So yeah, it's fascinating to me and helpful. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> no, I was just going to say as an, as a, definitely island like when I read the island part I mean what is cool about it is when you are secure functioning like I think this is like an example of the place you go to when things aren't good like I like the distinction of we can all get to secure attachment we can all be anchors but it's worth knowing the places we we all go to places when we're not doing good and I thought it was really cool to read someone so clearly explain the places that I go to when I do feel threatened or even just like tired or worn down or whatever. Because once you know that, it's so much better to even like be able to communicate it to your partner and ask for what you want even if you're not gonna try to do better to change it it's just like I I do need a little bit of space in this situation you know I think that's like a really cool tool yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think I liked too when he was explaining it that he's like don't think that like anchors are like this you know like on a pedestal like they've got it all together because what I liked is that it's like it's just good to, it is no one is necessarily like better or worse than the other, but it is good to know where you are. Yeah. Like where do you go to in places of stress or something? And yeah, like recognizing it in yourself and being able to recognize it in your partner is going to help you. Like it's going to help you. And being aware, I think is the first step to really any sort of change is just being aware. So I like that he spends the first part. So if, if somebody's more interested in this, he spends a lot of time at the beginning kind of going through all of those and then throughout the book, he like refers back to it. Like a wave is going to act like this. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's a good, it's like just really beneficial to be aware of how that looks in you and in your partner. Yeah. Do you guys think that, um, that anchors, that there are people who are always staying as an anchor or do you think that anchor is be like anchor is where we're trying, like we're getting to when we're healthy and and we have a tendency to move towards either an island or a wave in times of distress. Do you get my question? Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that is a good question. I don't know. It's difficult because we have nature here and we have nurture. So, I mean, like in my own life, I feel like mostly my childhood was like I felt like I came into adulthood mostly as an anchor like securely attached but then I can see that when I am stressed or in like relational difficulty that my tendency like I've actually had both like I've, I feel like I've gone to both sides mm. so I don't know because I, I, I think there's also some nature there like I think islands like I could see your childhood 
definitely being an island creator. Yeah. But your nature, like, say, for example, like an energy typing, like I would think like a type four would have a tendency just to be an island. Yeah. Regardless of their their childhood. So I don't know. That's a really good question. I think the answer is probably I think we all come back if we're putting anchor as the center. I think we all have the ability to come back to that center, but that we probably do have just in us, whether because of our childhood or because of our nature, um, that we might just have like the tendency that yeah, in moments of stress, we go one or the other direction. Yeah. That, I don't know. That feels plausible. Yeah. What do you guys think? This could be a really cool tool also with obviously any relationship. Like we can see if we can see these tendencies and like I can think off the top of my head, I have friends that definitely have like wave tendencies or like even in our kids, like it's worth noting like as we navigate these relationships these attachment styles can be really helpful. Like if we see our kids and they're just really intense and like passionately, like coming back to us almost in a hostile way, behaving like I need your attention, like over and over again, it's like, Oh, maybe they, they're going through like a stage where their attachment is feeling like a little threatened or whatever. And they're showing this by acting more like this wave personality. And Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen in my own kids where they will withdraw and it's like you it can come across like, oh, they're good. But then when you go to them and you try to reconnect, it's like, no, they really were sad or upset. But you wouldn't know because they're having this like move towards like showing their like island personality. And I, it's like interesting because I don't I mean, this is saying we probably go towards one of the other it when we aren't doing good and it yeah that makes me wonder if it is a lot more fluid than we think like maybe even in different stages of our life I have personally never felt the things that they say about the wave but that doesn't mean that maybe in like 10 years the circumstance couldn't push me into feeling like I, I need to be validated. I need to be validated type feeling that the wave does, you know? So I, I think it's like just so cool and just crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the other, my favorite part of this book was, um, <clears throat> I feel like, like we've mentioned and Terrell kind of said in the intro, there's sort of like vacillating advice when it comes to relationships and, I have read relationship books that do kind of put on the pedestal the being independent, separate from your partner. You're both very like fulfilled and happy on your own, but also at the behest, like you don't, you're not worried at all about what the other person is going through or their happiness. You're worried about taking care of your own happiness. They're worried about taking care of their own happiness and you get to exist, coexist side by side as two happy people, but it's not woven into each other's happiness. And then there's obviously on the other extreme of what I see as kind of like self-sacrificing yourself for your partners to make your partner happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I don't know. In life, I feel like extremes never work out very well. Maybe for some people, those two situations work out well, but it's like there has to be some middle ground. And I, it's so tricky with when you're trying to be in like a lifelong relationship with someone. I feel like that balance of like, when do I, when am I like sacrificing? When am I upholding my own happiness is 50 to 75% of what you're trying to figure out. So I loved how Stan explained this and he, he basically, he calls it the couple bubble, but he's saying that the relationship is the highest entity. So not just hear this so clearly when I say it, not the other person, the relationship as a whole. So you're 50% of that. So in any decision or fight or conversation, it's coming back to how do we put our attachment, because that is so important in the scheme of our life, our primary attachment is what creates our mental health and wellness. So we want to put that attachment with our um, life partner at like the top. So that little us as a couple, as a separate entity is the highest thing. So in each situation, as we're deciding what decision to make, how do we put that relationship at the top? And I just think that's like just a really like beautiful image to have in your mind where it's, um, how can we collaborate and cooperate and accept each other so that our relationship lasts? Yeah. And I liked how what he I liked what he talked about, and it makes so much sense. But I don't think I had really thought about it in this way. But that it's like your relationship, because and he talks about all the studies and the research that goes behind it. But your relationship with your life partner is going to have a huge, if not one of the biggest, impacts on like your overall happiness in life. Like if that relationship is not doing well, it does affect a lot of because you. That's such a primary part of your life. It like casts, it has an impact on kind of everything, your kids, your family, your work, kind of everything else. And yeah, like I think sometimes maybe people are like, they feel like they might be good at compartmentalizing, but like your overall health is going to be attached to this. So I loved it that it's like the best thing that could be in your interest and in your partner's interest is to prior, like what you said, Felicia, just to prioritize the relationship as a whole, because that's going to really be the best for both of you. Like, it's kind of like by doing that, you are doing the best for yourselves and Mm -hmm. each other, which, so yeah, like it's almost like instead of thinking it in one way or the other of like, yeah, either I sacrifice myself for you in a lot of ways and you should do the same for me or yeah, like I'm going to fill myself up and make myself happy. It's like when you're looking at it and it, I think the interesting thing is that like maybe some of your actions might have been the same, but when you have it through the lens of, like we're doing this to help our relationship be the best that it can. It like kind of shifts. Cause it's like, overall, this is going to be best for all of us. So I, yeah. I did, I thought that was interesting and I never, I had never really heard of it phrased in that way. So I'm with you. I thought that was like a really interesting thing to like, to go at it with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that I loved a lot was when he talked about conflicts within a relationship. So it's kind of funny cause he talks about how, you know, like we have so many things going on in our bodies and brains when we communicate with each other. And he's like, it's no wonder we miscommunicate all the time because there are so many things that are happening. Like 
body language, um, not just your verbal tones. Like there's so many things that you can get wrong as you're communicating that it makes sense that people have conflict. Like they misinterpret things. We, we take things one way when we really meant it another way. And, um, so he talks about that, that it's like, you're gonna like, no matter how good of a communicator you are, you're gonna have things that you're gonna have conflicts about. And that's just part of being human. But what I loved was, I think one of the interesting things he said, conflict like your lover, like have conflicts like your lovers, not business partners. He's like, sometimes I'll see people have arguments or fight and they're all like, they're not, they're almost just like talking back and forth, but you wouldn't know that they even love each other, even though they do. But during a conflict, like they're both so caught up in whatever it is that they don't even, like they're not focused on how the other person's feeling. So what I loved was he was like, think about when you're having a conflict, like your goal is to, I thought it was interesting. It was like, your goal is to basically like get in the conflict and out of the conflict as quickly as possible for both of you. Cause both of your immune, like both of your nervous systems and everything are going to be like up when you're in a conflict. So if your goal is to like help the other person and yourself by putting the relationship first, you're wanting to like get in the conflict and out of it as quickly as possible so that you can like keep going in a secure relationship. And that's not to say you should just ignore it or even that you should rush through it. But I love that it was like, be like affectionate and touch, like use kind facial expressions. Like think about how you're having this conflict in a way that it's like, I want this to be a positive thing for both of us because I'm putting the relationship at the top. So, and what I liked was he even talked about like, sometimes you might do it in small bites so that you can chew. Cause sometimes we'll attack an issue that we have that's maybe huge and it is going to be a longer conflict. You might not be able to get out of it right away. So like do it in small bites, like start doing it. And if you feel like either one of you is getting to a point where it's like, yeah, like you're, you're not in a good place, then like table it for a minute, which I think flies in the face of, I don't know how many, I definitely got this a couple of times, like as marriage advice, when I got married, where I was like, never go to bed angry or like, yeah, never go to sleep when you've been in the middle of a fight. But I don't think that's always true. And I think for me, like this totally supports the issue of like, there are going to be times where sometimes you do have a big conflict and you can't resolve it before you go to bed. And like, but I think coming at it of a point of like, Hey, I think we're both tired and I think it'd be best for us to like, let's address this and maybe even come up with a time, like after we've had dinner tomorrow and the kids are in bed, but maybe not right before we're going to go to sleep so that we have some time we're well-fed, we're not tired, but like coming at it from a place of together, we're going to work this out instead of who's right about it. Like who's going to win. It's like together, we're both working together to make sure that the relationship is at the top. And you might have to do it a few times. Like if it's a big conflict, you might not resolve it all in one sitting and that's okay. And he even says like, that might be better for your relationship to be able to go at it in small things. Mm -hmm. And always coming back to like the attachment and connection at the end. Like you always want to be ending the conflict with like, maybe we still disagree. Maybe we don't have a resolution, but like, I also, I still love you. This is still good. And like, mm-hmm. connect, like staying connected, I think is the most important thing for your relationship in a conflict, which I just really loved. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it reminds me, like, as you're describing it, I just get the vision of like a newer couple and it's just your what you're saying, like you are so into the relationship and it's like newness and little like, 
mm, this is so good. I love you type feeling mm-hmm. that you let a lot of stuff go. Mm-hmm. Or even I think about my kids. It's so much easier for me to apologize to them, own up to anything I did wrong, forgive them for things that they did, and put our relationship, put our connection Mm -hmm. over being right or proving a point. It's so much harder for me to do that with Parker because it's like we're two adults and it's just like, okay, I have to decide. Do I care more about our relationship or being right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's like the big question, like, can I accept my messiness and his messiness and blah, blah, and put our relationship at the first or am, do I need to prove something? And obviously this is not including any sort of verbal physical abuse this is not include like yeah this is not forgiving wrongs that are wrongs this is (laughs) we're both we're both making mistakes we're having a a a fight over something we have like a a long term like what caitlin's saying is if we keep digging the groove of the negative circumstance and we never come to these resolutions day to day then even if six months down the road, we solve this problem, we have so deeply dug that groove of the negative interaction with our partner. It is really hard to like fill that back in and heal it. So the doing it in the little bites is like, let's resolve this now so we don't dig that groove deeper. And I think that's such a cool um, advice in a relationship because Things are going to loop around and come back up. Parker and I have the same like six fights. I could just list them out. Our entire marriage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, if we just like, just kept digging that groove, it would. And, you know, I've been in those cycles where it's like, we have not, we haven't solved this yet. Like, this is driving me nuts. But when you do do it, just like in the little day to day, it, it almost like builds, um, resiliency in your relationship because you know we're gonna we're gonna fix this I'm not worried about this fight because in the past my brain knows we've come to a resolution on that multiple times yeah and we've come back to connection always I think that that's like a really important piece to it that it's like you're gonna have conflicts and it's good like conflicts aren't necessarily easy right like they're part of life and that's what makes them conflicts is that they are sometimes uncomfortable and depending on like if you're an island anchor or wave it could be like very scary for you in a lot of ways. But I think what's cool is what you're saying is like every time that we, both of us are prioritizing it in a way that it's like, we're prioritizing the connection every time. That's like, even if we disagree, even if this is still a big conflict, if we're prioritizing that it's like, we're still connected, I still love you. And here's how, and we're showing that in, in a lot of ways, like whether it's physically, whether it's all those things. Then I like what you're saying because it's like what you're building is a neural pathway in your brain that's like, even though I'm having this conflict, my connection is still going to be there. So it's like if you're building that every time, it creates a space where you're right. It's like resiliency of like, then when something comes up in the future, it's like, yeah, I might be ticked about something that's happening. And I also know that you care for me and we care for each other enough to like stay connected even through this. And I think that that's like what you're building every time. And I think that that's so 
so important um, to like maintain that connection. Cause I mean, when you think about that with our kids too, it's like you, it doesn't mean that you're just going to agree with everything or even that you're not going to, uh, work it out. Like, I think that it still means that even more so we, we should be working out those things, but it's that your priorities and that connection over. And again, when I say even over being right, it doesn't mean that you can't still feel like your opinion is the right thing either. Yeah. That you care about each other enough to maintain the connection as you're working it out. And yeah, totally. And what you're, I think it's also a good exercise to do um, <clears throat> when it comes to the, am I putting my primary attachment as like the highest thing? Um, obviously this isn't, I just see like, there's so many times, so like ask yourself, am I putting even my role as the parent over my primary attachment? Mm-hmm. Am I putting my hobby and my friends that come with this hobby over, like, am I willing, am I over and over again, sacrificing my primary attachment with my partner for like hurting them over and over again by choosing golf over them or whatever, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. it's, I think a lot of us are like, well, I'm married to them. Of course I'm putting, that's my primary attachment. I'm putting it first, but it's like truly though, are we? And when I ask myself that question, there, there have been multiple circumstances where I'm like, okay, in this situation, this is what I want. This is what Parker wants. How do we put our relationship at the top? And sometimes that is give and take. Sometimes that means he puts his hobby first and the next time I do. Or sometimes that means, you know, we sacrifice and we can't go on a date because of this. But it it doesn't mean that there's a perfect solution, but I think the question is really important. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I like that you brought that up, that it's like, it doesn't just have to be in a conflict. It can be other things in our life. Is that taking over what should be our priority, which I love. Um, Along with that, like something that I thought was interesting was the, just some concrete tips that he gave that honestly, I wrote them down because I felt like I could be better at it. Um, But I love that, that it's like with, um, because what he talks about too, that it's like, again, even for everyone else's benefit, like for the benefit of your realm, so to speak, it actually is better if you are, if you are putting that relationship first. And one of those things was um, like, say with parenting, because for instance, I read a lot more parenting than Cam does and Cam's great. Like if I give him a book that I think is awesome, he'll read it and it's great. We can talk about it. But like overall, I'm reading more of the parenting stuff. So I'm the one that like, has things that I want to implement and usually I'll bring it up with Cam. So like, I know that in the past I have like with Cam, like sometimes I'll like correct him with something, with a parenting thing and I'll do it like with the kids. And I, now it was interesting because one of the things that he talks about in the book was like for your kids benefit too. Like you might even, you might disagree with something that your partner does and you can talk to him about it, but like not doing it with the kids. Cause I think sometimes they'd be like, Hey, like maybe we should do this. But like, I could see how then even from a kid's perspective, it's like, oh, there's like a division between the, like between my parents. And I feel like they're like, they can see that it's like, um, cause again, I don't even think it's wrong. I want to be clear here. I don't think it's wrong for your kids to see you conflict. I actually think that that like, and books say this, like experts say this, it's okay for your kids to see you have a conflict and to see you make up for like, 
to see that whole process, it's actually really healthy for them. If you're doing it in a healthy way of like, we're conflicting here, but we can maintain a connection at the end. Like we are together. Um, I think where sometimes it goes wrong is like, if they never see that makeup part, then they only see the conflict that that's not always helpful. And I've heard people say like, they, if they never see you conflict, that's also not healthy for them either. Cause then they don't see how to, they don't see how to conflict in their relationship. So I want to be clear here. It's okay for your kids to see you have conflicts and be able to keep connected. I think that that's a part of life and I think it's good for them. Um, but I just love that he talked about that. It's like, if you have something like, even with a parenting thing, talk about, talk about it in private then away from your kids. I don't know. That was like something that was really simple, but I think sometimes I'm like, I just see something in the moment and I say it. And I like that it was like together you can work out, work it out instead of like in front of your kids. So anyway, that was like one little tip that I thought was good. I like the example he gives of that where he, you know, he says there's two parents and the one is getting into just like this heated kind of yelling at the kid and the other parent walks in on it. And there's kind of, the two options of what are you doing? Like you're berating them. Like, let me, like, you need to leave. Like you're out of control and like consoling the kid. And then there's like the, like the supportive of coming in and, and supporting their, you know, do you like going up to them kindly, putting your hand on them? Like, do you, do you want to, step out. We can figure this out later. Or like, you're not attacking how they're handling the situation. You're supporting, you're keeping them safe from, you know, like making more of a terror with their relationship with the kid, but you're not undermining yeah. what they're choosing to do in the moment. And that, that is really, it is really hard, especially I think in the dynamic of if you're the primary caregiver. So you do kind of maybe understand situations better, have more backstory on the situation. Like, so you feel like the expert mm-hmm. with your mm-hmm. kids. and it is hard to not try to undermine or teach, but to like support, give support and then talk about it later. That is like a practice. It definitely is a practice. I think it's hard. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that example. Cause yeah, I really liked the example listening to it and it, it made me think like, yeah, I like it is and it's best for everybody. Like you're and again you're putting that relationship as a priority of like I'm supporting you and helping you. Um like if you're feeling dysregulated or whatever and like we'll talk about we we can still talk about something later, but it's not right now. So I like that. And the example he gives, he does a really good job of giving real life examples because the example he gave, what the parents said to the kid, like I was not okay with. I mean, he was yeah. full blown. I think he said something like you're a bad, I don't like bad little boys. He's like said something like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's shame. Like, yeah. ah. And uh, so it, I liked it though. Cause it was like, I was having an emotional reaction to what this parent was saying. So I could see how you could come in and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, but I like it that he, he, you allow for your knowing you, you're going to trust your partner to make the repair. Cause yeah, that's going to require a repair. If you, do something shame like that like I don't you're bad and I don't like bad boys like that's some of you definitely have to repair but you're showing your child and your partner you trust your partner to make that repair by not just like coming in and like scolding him in front of the kid um but I just actually saw it was uh, I can't remember who was somebody 
it was like a relationship therapist. And this is just an idea that kind of goes along with that, that I kind of like that you could arrange with your partner. But I thought it was a fun idea. When you see something like that happening where your partner is losing it, right? Like it's like, it's like an equivalent of an adult tantrum, you know, where it's like, you know what? I think you're not at your best right now. Instead of coming out and saying like, you know what? You need to go to your room right now. I'll handle this. Cause that's totally, yeah. Undermining the person. Um, he suggested have, so again, this is not Stan Tykin. This is just some therapist that I follow. I can't even remember who it was. Um, but he said, have a code word, you know, like, you know, sassafras or whatever. So he's like, you can come in and be like, Ooh, sassafras. And like your partner knows that means like, I'm not at my best self right now, but my partner's going to take over for me. Like, it's like a tag team situation. Like you're like, you're not in trouble. It's just like, I can take, like, I can take this from you if you need. And the person can go. And he was funny. Cause he's like, it's like a win-win. Cause you and your partner are like together on this. So it's like this camaraderie situation. It's not in a place of attacking. It's just like a, Hey, totally like tap, tag me in. I got it. And he's like, and then your kids also see that you guys are still like connected, but also you're like, you're like helping each other out. Like, Whoa, what just happened? This parent was just losing it. But now this parent is like, they just did some code situation. And now this is the parent who's like, I don't know. I guess that was kind of a cute idea that like, if you, and you'd obviously you'd have to do it in a way that like you both agree and it's from a place of love because you couldn't be like I am enforcing this rule and when I say sassafras you better leave that might not work for everybody but if you could like you're both in it like it's it should be more of a relief like yeah ah yeah you know what hold on you know I do need to just be done with this and can you please take over for me so anyway just an idea I haven't tried it I don't even know if it works but it's the same concept that like you're supporting your person but also giving them an out if they need an out. Yeah. I like that. I have also not tried that. And I, but I like the idea of it. That sounds actually like really great. If I wasn't like, that sounds great if someone were coming, if I was kind of struggling to be like, okay, you're right. This is, I am not in a great place. I would like to step out. You mm-hmm. can take over. For me though, if I'm feeling like that, I would feel defensive. If like, I'm imagining myself in that situation. If I came across that my husband was like, you're not doing a good job here. I think I'd be defensive. So it could be more of like a, I, I think it actually worked for me to be like, like, yeah, do you want to tag me in? Like, it's like an option. And then I could be like, as a relief, like, yeah, tap out, you know, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. That could be more fun for me than feeling like I'm being sent to my room. So you'd have to kind of play with that to see what works yeah. for you. But yeah, cause me, it, this is me and someone's ass across me. I, I got this. You can leave. <laughs> That's how I'd feel. Get out of here. <laughs> So it's funny to think about the pre-conversation because really yeah, that might not work. Yeah. No, but really it it makes me think like that's something I can work on is I like okay, I'm going to humble myself like yes, you can take over like I can but yeah, I think that's I I mean, I think that could be a good idea cuz sometimes it is hard to even know what to s- say or do or how to like handle it so I like the idea of just a overall code word sign secret handshake of like you don't have to figure out because sometimes that's what I feel is I come into a situation I think I'm supporting the situation yeah. what I'm saying I do not think I'm undermining I think I'm yeah. helping yeah but mm-hmm. not helping so yeah mm-hmm. I think that could be a that could be worth exploring I like it. Yeah, I do that too. I know that that's a weakness of mine. I think I understand the situation. Yeah. But I end up undermining it because I think I know best. Mm-hmm. So, 
but too. but that's why I think well yeah and I I do too that's why I wrote this this thing down because I liked that it was like you can yeah you can still talk to the spouse about it after but it's maybe during the thing might not be the right time even if you feel because I know that example was awesome because it's like clearly like the example of like you're a bad boy I don't like little boys it's like clearly we all disagree that that would be that would be a bad thing to say to kids but like you don't necessarily have to write then like berate them for saying it or anything like that it's like help maybe the situation maybe it is and I think he even gives the example like put your arm on them say like hey do you need anything from me and then if not you can leave the situation so you like still allow them to like save face and you can even go talk to the kid later but instead of saying like something along the lines of like that was really mean you just kind of like ask them questions keep saying so that it's like you're maintaining that connection that they might have with the other spat like the other parent and then you can also talk with the parent so anyway I like that it's like offline you can do it when tensions are running a little low like you can always and I love the going back to the repair thing I think it's always always something that we can do repair yeah Yeah. and that goes back to our whole concept we have so many episodes about this but you don't like you can't reason your way out when emotions are high yeah it's it's triage at that point right so that's where in his example he goes up gives his partner a kiss says you got this and he leaves like goes into the other room that that isn't the time to point out hey that was a shame tactic hey son just so you know your worth is intact no matter what you do like that isn't the time for a reason that's the time is after all the emotions the wave of the emotion that over what does my therapist call it flooding once like the flooding has passed then people are open to discussions like that but it's not in the moment yeah and the only well there was a there was many things that I actually wrote down that I was like I want to be better at this but along with this something else that I actually really loved and this is something that I am working on being better at being vulnerable saying this but I feel like sometimes I will not bring up things right after it happens and he actually talks about how like if you're going to bring something up, bring it up when it's relevant, like bring it up soon instead of waiting a couple of weeks. Cause then it's almost, it's not really fair to you or the other person. Cause number one, the other person might not have any idea that they even did anything. <laughs> so they might do it again and then you're just ticked again. Um, and it's not fair to you either. Cause like you, you should bring it up if it's something that bothered you. And so I love that he's like, cause I, I do tend to do that. I feel like I tend to I almost will be like, oh, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But then something will happen again and I'm like, oh, I'm bugged. I'm still bugged. So I love that that's something that I'm working on is actually trying to bring things up like when, again, doesn't have to, not in the heat of the moment because as we just said, that's not usually going to be helpful like if something's happening right then. But to bring it up when it's still relevant, like bring it up that night or whenever it's, when you're both in a good place. But like, um, I like that he talked about that because then it's like going back to the neural pathways thing. It's like, the quicker that you can resolve something, the better it's going to be for you and your partner. And I even liked, he talked about, even if you can remind your partner preventatively about situations that you dislike, like he brings up the example of, um, you know, like two, you know, partners go into a party like situation. One of the partners says something that was kind of embarrassing to the other one, but didn't think about it or realize it. So, but if you know that sometimes that happens, um, cause then later like that partner's hurt. But like if there are certain things where it's like maybe you're going into a family setting or you're going on a family vacation where maybe you know certain things are going to be happening, 
reminding your partner beforehand that it's like, so you're on the same page of like, Hey, just so you know, like, because they give the example of like maybe saying something that was private when the other partner didn't want it to be shared. So like bringing that up beforehand, like, Hey, we're about to go into a party. Remember that like, if you're, if you maybe want to tell a story or something, um, maybe just remember to think about it. Like maybe ask me first if it's okay, if you share it or something like that. So I like that too, that it's like, yeah, afterwards bring it up like when it's relevant, but also reminding your partner like preventatively before situations can be a way just to like overcome that. Cause sometimes like our partner isn't meaning to, they just either forget or whatever. So it's like, again, working on the same team of like putting that relationship first of, Hey, let's work together. This is maybe something that we might run into. I'm going to remind you about it beforehand. And that could go with parenting too. Like maybe we're going into bedtime. That's a high stress situation for you. Or maybe we're going into transition, like maybe talking through things preventatively. I like that too, that it's like, you can work through things preventatively too. It doesn't just have to be after. Yeah. And it goes to the cycling of our relationships. Often the fights that we have are recurring. So it's just front loading the healing or preventing it completely is, can be like a really magical tool. And I do think it helps both people understand um, each other better. It's like, Oh, I, I didn't know that when I shared this about, you know, our life, that that felt private to you. For me, I, it helps me connect with people and like socially, I, you know, I like to tell stories and people think it's funny and that's like a big part of my personality. It's like a, it's like both people have a chance to like express their true selves thus they understand each other better and that's just building that resiliency again in the situation so i really love that very good all right well thank you for joining us talking about relationship rx um we hope that as we review you these books like sparks you guys to read them if they interest you and we really love this one all right let's find the magic if you like what you heard today please share this with a friend or loved one this means so much to us and it helps the podcast continue to grow and if this podcast has meant something to you there are three things that you can do right now that will help us immensely the first is to subscribe or follow us and you can do that by going to our page wherever you listen to podcasts and then if you tap on the upper right hand corner there is usually a plus sign or a subscribe button and just go ahead and tap that and that will allow you to subscribe or follow us which what this does is make sure that you never miss an episode and it really helps us at find the magic the second thing you can do is share it with a friend. So if you like what you heard, um, send it to somebody or post it on social media. This does a ton to help our podcast continue to grow and for us to be able to make more episodes. And lastly, um, if you've enjoyed being here with us on Find the Magic, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review. Um, we read every single one of those reviews and we appreciate them so much. And we want you guys to know that we feel that you, our listeners, are our friends, and we're so grateful. Thank you so much for sticking with us on this journey. We have loved it. So let's find the magic together. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> Brown cows. <laughs>